morning. If you would text notes also to the number that's on your screen uh, to 59090, I'm gonna have plenty of scripture uh, on what I'm ministering on this morning. I'm so excited to be ministering the word this morning uh, because we are adding a new value to the mercy culture culture this morning. <laughs> so we have been praying into this value the last couple years. It began to stir in me about two years ago and presenting it to our teams and praying into it. And I feel like it is the perfect timing of the Lord to introduce the new value of holiness. I want to tell you, I was a little impatient as the Lord began to speak and stir this word in me because as we see uh, what's happening in our nation right now, it is clear that we are uh, completely deluded of, we, we have a complete absence of holiness in our nation. And we've also struggled in this as a body of Christ. And so again, the culture of mercy culture, these values are biblical values. Our heart is that you not just learn about them and know them, but that you begin to operate in your families, in your businesses, as you're parenting your children, that you begin to operate in these values, amen? Okay, so this is, this is a value of holiness. We say, come in. We simply wanna be like Jesus, holy, set apart unto God, and fully surrendered to the refiner's fire. We know the closer we get to him, the more we become like him. Holiness is found in the presence of God. Our heart's cry is this, make me like you, Jesus. Make me holy. And one of the supporting scriptures of our new value of holiness and what I'm also gonna be ministering out of this morning is in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 16, and it's titled this, A Call to Holiness. Verse 13 says this, therefore prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not conform to the passions of your former ignorance. The NLT version says it like this, do not conform to the satisfaction of your own desires. But just as he who has called you holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. This morning I'm ministering a message called Answering the Call to Holiness. Let us pray this morning. So Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are in this place this morning. We declare we don't give you part of the room, but we give you the entire room. And so Lord, I even pray right now as we are temples of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would begin to intervene every corner, every uh, place within us, oh God. Holy Spirit, that you would begin to confront the crooked ways within us, that you would begin to straighten and, and bring light to the darkness that is inside of us, that you would begin to confront our opinions and wicked ways within us. I don't know if I'm the only one in the room this morning, but I hope that there's an entire sea of people out there that it will invite the Holy Spirit to do the same. So as a congregation and as a people this morning. Lord, we submit our hearts, we submit our minds, we submit our bodies, everything that you have entrusted us to. We submit to you, Holy Spirit. And would we say, would you come? More of you and less of us. Would you fill us up with more of you, Holy Spirit, and less of us? So we say, come and have your way this morning. And we declare what Samuel prayed. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, I am going to try to teach you about holiness. I was overwhelmed as I processed and I've been praying into this sermon. Because many times when... Uh, we pick a topic to minister on in the body of Christ. We think of people that have done a topic so well, a Lou Engle with fasting, a Pastor Jasmine with worship. We think of people that have a Corey Russell with prayer. And I humbly want to 
share with you this morning that I am not the picture of holiness. The Trinity is the picture of holiness. He is the only one who is perfect. And so this morning, I just pray even now that we would all humble ourselves to receive something that only, only can be achieved through mercy and the grace of God, is that we answer the call of holiness. Revelation and Isaiah both speak of this encounter with the Lord. Revelation describes uh, in this vision each of the four living creatures that had six wings and was covered with eyes all around and within. And the Bible says this, that day and night they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. Means every time they're in his presence, all they can encounter, all that can come out of their mouth, they cannot stop declaring. They cannot stop crying out in awe of the glory of God, of his presence. The only thing that can come out over and over, day and night, day after day, is the holiness of God. Holy, holy, holy is he. This word holy in the Greek is the word hagios. It means to be sacred or to be set apart. It was at conference this year. Anybody at conference, at Mercy Culture Conference in September? There was this one prophetic afternoon session that we had. Will Ford uh, joined us. Pastor Chris led the moment. And I, as I was praying into this moment prior to conference, I kept hearing this word over and over in my spirit. It was this word of consecration. I heard the Lord say, we're going into a season of consecration. I began to study what consecration meant. Consecration is the process where we decide to set ourselves apart. That God comes and he marks us and he begins to make us holy. I began to pray into that. Why would we be going into a season of holiness? And then I'm reminded that we had heard the Lord say that it is a year of reformation. And up in my spirit, what Pastor Landon preached the first Sunday of January. If you have not listened to the message, go listen to that message. But holiness is the fuel for reformation. This is why. He's calling the body of Christ into a season of consecration, into a season where we are made holy in his presence. Why? So that we become trustworthy vessels to be carriers of revival and reformation in this hour. I'm telling you this morning, church, I did not come to preach a, a pretty sermon and to have church with you this morning. I believe this is the word of the Lord for this hour that we can dance and sing about reformers all day long, but he will continue to tarry. He will continue to wait until there is a bride, until there are sons and daughters that say, I will begin to separate myself despite my comfort, despite what I want to be a part of, despite what friends and family are a part of, despite what is in front of me on social media Every single time, I will set myself apart from those things into a season of consecration so that I would be made holy and trustworthy as a carrier of revival and reformation. <laughs> Believe that this is what the Lord has been tarrying. What he has been waiting for is a bride that is trustworthy or made holy. Here's the problem, church, that I believe that the church has done more conforming than consecration. We are losing the battle because we have been conforming to culture, conforming to unholiness instead of consecrating ourselves. If you've noticed, the culture, the world has been uh, in a season of redefining words. The problem with this is that when culture begins to redefine words and you think that's what the definition, now the culture in your house begins to change because you took on a worldly definition. I'm going to give you an example. The Webster's definition of conform and the biblical definition of conform. Here's Webster's dictionary or Webster's definition. 
It means this, to comply with rules or laws or to behave socially acceptable. Conform, the definition in the Bible is this, to become or to be like or of the same form, indicating an interchange of nature, working into the outward life or fashioned according to. This literally means that the, the, the Webster's Dictionary just says it's, it's just a behavior to be socially acceptable. The definition in the Bible says no. When you decide to go conform because you're, you want to be a cool mom or dad and you take your daughter to that concert so you're being non-religious and you begin to conform with what's being declared from that platform that seeds all of the sudden are internally in your daughter they are internal in you and in a process of months or seasons that moment of conforming that seed that was planted all of a sudden begins to make an outward change she and you begin to talk different respond to conflict different your faith is just a little your Friday nights is just a little bit different your daily encounters all of a sudden are a little bit different and less because we begin to conform. The Bible tells us that spiritually what happens when we conform to the ways of culture, we become the culture. When we conform to unholy ways, we take on the same form of unholiness. This is why the word of God tells us over and over again, stand firm, persevere, endure, be courageous, stand firm. Why would it tell us to stand firm if there was nothing to stand firm against? The Bible knows wicked times and seasons are coming and then the body of Christ responds like this is the new, this is the new way. This is, this is the modern way. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 15 says this. God has chosen you, church, from the beginning to be saved by the sanctification of the Spirit or of holiness and by faith in the truth. You got to know the truth to be able to have faith in the truth. What is the truth? It is the word of God. Church, you must know the word of God so that you can have faith in it and have the strength and the courage to be able to stand firm and not to sway to the left or to the right of what's taking place in and around us. And then it says this in verse 15, and then stand firm and cling to the traditions we have taught you or cling to what the word of God and preachers that don't call holiness religious what they are preaching. I can't tell you how many teachers, preachers, and pastors I have heard in the last 10 years say holiness and righteousness is a religious spirit to preach to it to people. Look, church, our righteousness will always be filthy rags compared to his righteousness. But can I tell you, just because that is the truth, it does not void a clear call in the word of God all throughout scripture that he has called us to live a holy life because he is holy. I'm telling you there is a war against holiness in America. As I prayed into this message, I heard so clearly the Lord say the demise of America will be when our nation fully turns to unholiness. We hear in this hour them mocking our God, mocking our Christ in, in concerts, putting themselves on crosses. They're putting unholy and singing songs of unholiness. They are mocking a holy God. Ah! There is a war against holiness in this hour because they know the power of a holy God. I believe 
believe the world fears the church more than the church even realizes the power and authority inside of her. They're in a full-blown war against holiness from churches to uh, grocery stores, platforms, parades, songs, social media, our White House and our government. They are marketing to your family. They are marketing to your children a way of unholiness. Despite the fact that the word of God talks about in Isaiah 35, the way to holiness, the way the bride is supposed to be walking, worshiping, building, living. Unholiness is brainwashing Americans into a depraved mind. Okay, catch this one. Unholiness is brainwashing the body of Christ into a depraved mind. What is a depraved mind? We find it in Romans chapter one. It's talking about God's wrath against sin. And in verse 18, it says this, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. His eternal power and divine nature had been clearly seen, being understood from his workmanship so that men are without excuse. He's saying, I have revealed myself. I have given you my word. I have shown myself as the creator of all things. Men are without excuse. It is our choice. Will we follow a holy way or an unholy way? In verse 22, it says this, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images of mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. If that doesn't sound like America right now, of people taking on their identity as animals and then now trying to make it the next sexual identity. It says in verse 24, therefore God gave them over in the desires of their hearts. Can you just say that word? Desires of their hearts. Go on, say it again. Desires of their hearts. Therefore, God gave them over to the desires of their hearts, to impurity for the dishonoring of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature other than the creator. For this reason, God gave them over to dishonorable passions. And furthermore, since they did not see it fit to acknowledge God, he gave them up to a depraved mind. So this word depraved mind in the Greek is this, a dokimos. It means this, failing to pass the test, a counterfeit, a castaway, or rejected, or a reprobate. I am telling you the war this morning of unholiness against America and your family is to get you to the point that you and your family have a depraved mind so that you are rejected by God. This is the process of spiritual warfare to make you unholy. It starts off by conforming to unholiness. Those seeds that you thought was just to let your hair down, go have a little bit of fun. You begin to conform to unholiness. Now all of this sudden, your fleshly passions have changed. They, they begin to drive you and your desires have changed. Your desires are no longer for the holy things. Your desires and fleshly nature is for the unholy things. Now you begin to listen to those unholy desires. You begin to listen. Okay, this is, this is interesting. The Lord uh, unveiled this in the first service to me and witchcraft tried to come and got mad because I exposed it. So we're just gonna lean the full way in and expose it. But right in here, when the, when, when the body of Christ begins to listen to the desire of fleshly passions, what happens is it's very easy to become offended. It's very easy to become offended at the word of God, at the body of Christ, at those that are teaching it. Why? Because all of a sudden our flesh becomes very uncomfortable. 
That preacher is preaching against what my desires want. The word of God, oh, it's harsh. Uh, I don't know about that church. They're always talking about sin. All of the sudden, my flesh or my desires begin to work with my mind and plot out an evil and destructive future for my life. The Bible says that those with a depraved mind then end up being rejected by God. We see this take place in Hebrews 12, 14 through 17. This portion of scripture is referring to the story of Esau and Jacob. You know, I didn't pause long enough on the offense thing. There's some of you in this room this morning that by the grace of God got to church this morning. Because you've either been offended with this house or somebody in this church. You have been offended with a different church. You've been offended with a different preacher. And the spirit of offense has been speaking because it's saying, hey, you have a right. And many of you may have a right to be upset. But can I tell you, it's a spirit of offense to come and trip you up. It's a stumbling block. The Bible says it's a stumbling block to get you to trip and fall. And so if anybody is dealing with that this morning, you can just, if you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, just say, Lord, no, take it. I forgive this person. I forgive this church. I forgive this pastor. I forgive this preacher, but I'm not living my life operating in a spirit of offense or offense that's going to harden my heart. Back to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 through 17. There, this, this portion of scripture is referring to Esau and Jacob. And Esau and Jacob were twins. Uh, Isaac was their father. They were the grandchildren to Abraham. And if you know, they're in the womb of their mother and Jacob grasped the heel of Esau and there's this fight and struggle for who is to be first out of the womb because of the birthright. Before I get too far, let's go to this portion of scripture. It says this in verse 14. Pursue peace and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Listen. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this many will become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. This scripture wrecked me. Because when I read about Jacob and Esau, I think they're both wicked. I see Jacob as a deceiver and Esau selling his birthright. But then all of a sudden in this scripture, one is chosen as the fornicator and the profane person. This is what this word profane means in the Greek. It's this word bebelos. It means godless, permitted to be trodden by implication, unhallowed, and a godless person or worldly. The word fornicator here in the Greek means pornos, where we get the word pornography, but really all types of sexual immorality. It means to be sexual immoral or a man who prostitutes himself engaging in sexual immorality. These are the two words that God uses to describe Esau for selling his birthright. You have two men who were in sin, yet you see God show judgment to one and mercy to another. What's the difference? Let me tell you about the birthright first. The birthright was the blessing and rights of only the firstborn. It was the highest honor to be given. It means everything that was owned by that family, by that lineage that had been passed down for generations is now passed down to the eldest that is going to steward the future of this lineage and of this family. And then it was extra special for Esau. 
because his grandfather was Abraham, meaning his birthright was that all nations would be, would be blessed through his bloodline into the Messiah's bloodline. We see the blessing on Isaac in Genesis 26, where it says this, the Lord appears to Isaac and says, I will be with you and bless you. I will give you all these lands to honor your offspring, and I will confirm the oath that I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give them all these lands, and through your offspring, all nations of the earth will be blessed. That's a wild birthright. That means that it should have been Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But Esau has a fleshly moment. In fact, Esau's hunger and desire for fleshly things, we know by reading the word of God, were greater than the holy things. Did you hear what I just said about the word desire? Esau was judged for his evil desires for fleshly things over holy things. This is the difference between Jacob and Esau, both men that sinned. But as I prayed into this and as I wrestled with this, because another scripture says that God hated or that there was hatred towards Esau. I thought, Lord, how can the judgment be so great on Esau and the mercy be so great on Jacob, a deceiver? He said their desires were different. Jacob desired the father's blessing. Jacob desired the holy things. He said, despite that I know he's operating in deception, I can renew that. I can make that new. I can wrestle. I have an appointment with mercy that is coming up with Jacob that I can get the deception out of Jacob. But the desire in Esau is for the things of the flesh. The desire in Esau is for worldly things or what church it's called. Esau worshiped the idol of self. I preached this message last year on the idol of self. If you haven't heard it or you need a refresher, I strongly encourage you because it's been one of the greatest idols of humankind since the beginning of all time is the idol of self, the voice of your flesh that says, sir, you have worked hard this week. You deserve that on Friday night. You know what? She doesn't really appreciate you like she should. But I bet you, you can go find somebody that can appreciate you. Our flesh begins to speak evil desires and begins to work and plot with our mind to make us an unholy people. This is what God said I am disgusted with. I cannot put him in the lineage with Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. It has to be Jacob because his desires are unholy. I wanted to ask you this morning, church, are your desires holy or unholy? What you desire, is it holy? Is it pleasing to him? Or is it to gratify your flesh? Is it to serve yourself? Romans 9, 8 through 13 says this, so it is not the children of the flesh who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as an offspring. And then it says this in verse 13, so it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Esau was rejected by God. It was declared whom I hated over Esau. I'm telling you, church, there is a war of unholiness that has not just come to America. It's come to your doorstep. 
and it's to get you into a reprobate mind rejected by God. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8 says this. It's titled, Living to Please God. Finally, brothers, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus to live in a way that is pleasing to God. Verse 3, for it is God's will that you should be holy. Each of you must know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. For God has not called us to impurity, but to holiness. Anyone then who rejects this command does not reject man, but God, the very one who gives you his Holy Spirit. Did you just hear what I just read? The Bible says anyone who rejects the call to unholiness, to holiness has not rejected man but God. Today I propose this to you and I believe it is the truth as some of you are feeling the weight. Man, God in his grace and mercy would reject me? Or was it? Esau that rejected God. I believe it was Esau that rejected God first. Esau rejected God by choosing the things of the flesh. The Bible says that he runs home and he is starving and he is hungry. And there's Jacob that has been cooking. He begins to cook for I'm like, well, they're both cooking in this, in this scene. But the Bible says that he is overwhelmed with a hunger for meat. Or he is overwhelmed with hunger for fleshly stew. This is the war that I believe the body of Christ, God is behind this morning. Pastor Isaac said, pull on heaven. Would you just reach up and pull on heaven this morning? I believe God this morning is cheering this house on to answer the call to holiness, to live a life of consecration, that we would lay down our fleshly desires and pick up holy ones. When we begin to serve the things of our flesh, church, we reject God. And in turn, when we reject and turn our back on God, the Bible says, he rejects us. Philippians 3, 18 through 21 is a citizenship in heaven. It says, many live as the enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. The devil and our flesh are waging war against holiness. So how do we win this war? Romans 6, 9, one of our fundamental scriptures in our new value tells it for us. Calls out in verse 19, the weakness of our flesh. And it says, just as you have offered your parts of body in slavery to impurity and escalating wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness or what is right in God's eyes that leads to holiness. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free of obligation to righteousness. What fruit did you reap at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The outcome of those things is death. But now you have been set free from sin and you have become slaves to God. The fruit you reap leads to holiness and the outcome of eternal life. It tells us throughout church. It means you allow your flesh to begin to operate in what is right in God's eyes. What does this take? It takes a daily encounter to say, Lord, does my life please you? Do my thoughts please you? Do my actions, what I am building, my marriage, what's in my bank account, what I'm spending my money on. God, does it please you? Show me what's right in your eyes. This is how you become a slave to righteousness. 
Because of the weakness of your flesh, you have a choice to make church. And I wanted to break it down to make it super simple because I get when the enemy comes with an onslaught and there's confusion and there's exhaustion and there's stuff happening in your world and then a temptation comes. It just seems too easy to get it, to give into it. But let me tell you how simple it is. One, you entertain the cries of your flesh and you allow your flesh to lead you. Or two, you strengthen your spirit, man, and you make your flesh follow your spirit. Those are the only two options. So what happens when temptation or demonic stuff comes your way? You begin to speak in tongues. You open the word of God and you begin to declare it over yourself. You call a friend or a family member and you say, right now, I need prayer. I just had this thought. I just had this knocking on my door. I just had this come up on my laptop. You lean into that place and you begin to strengthen your spirit, man. Can I tell you the reason why the enemy wages war on one stinking temptation moment is because he wants to steal your confidence in you and the Lord. He wants to wipe out your confidence and tell you you're gonna struggle with that thing your whole life, this, this call to holiness, you will never be able to achieve it. Can I tell you this morning, you don't have to achieve holiness. It was already won on the cross thousands of years ago. It's by his grace, it's by his mercy that in a moment that your flesh feels weak and nothing can come to mind, but you just say, Jesus! Jesus! Oh, can I tell you those demons don't want to hang around in your Jesus party. They're going to go real quick. You begin to call out the name of Jesus. Make me holy, make me holy, make me holy. I love our perfect example, Jesus. We're all in a fast right now. Anybody else hungry? A little hungry, a little hungry. Felt it this week. So I felt Matthew chapter four was appropriate because Jesus is in the wilderness. He's been led there by the spirit and he is tempted by the enemy. And verse two says, and having fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. I was studying and I was like, amen, I'm hungry. And it says in verse three, and the one tempting having come to him said, if you are the son of God, speak that these stones may come, become loaves of bread. Now, isn't this interesting? He knows in the verse before he's hungry. So he tempts him with what his flesh desires, food. If you don't know the plans of the enemy and what your weaknesses are, you're gonna be played by the enemy all the time. You're gonna be a punching bag. You have to know what your weaknesses are, what your flesh cries out for greater and what moments he comes after you so you are ready with your sword. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. So Jesus answers, but answering he said, it is written. He responds with the word of God. You have to be men and women of the, of the word. You have to be men and women of the word of God. Church, if you don't know what the living word of God, the most powerful book, the words of God, if you don't know what it says, you don't know what to respond to the enemy when he comes knocking. He answers with weak flesh, but the spirit of the Lord upon him and speaks the word of God. Can I tell you that God was ready before our nation was even formed for this war against holiness in America? And although you are surrounded by a culture of unholiness, he has surrounded us with three powers to answer the call to holiness. Are you ready this morning? 
Okay, these three powers. The first one, his holy word, the holy Bible. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27 says, Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her, which is you, to make you holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. That gets me excited too. I'm gonna say it again. Receive it this time. You must be a man and woman of the word of God. Your pastor told you to feast on Christmas Eve up until the fast. Now in the fast, I'm telling you, feast on the word of God. Every single day, be in the word. I don't know how you normally have your daily encounters with the Lord, but especially can I call you in the middle of this fast to begin to feast on the word of God. And the more you feast on something, the more you crave something. I promise you, you begin to feast on the word of God. You will begin to crave the word of God. The second thing is this, his holy son, Jesus, the second power he has given us. It says in 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 9, so do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Instead, join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has, been sa he has saved us and called us to a holy calling. I don't know. Does anybody else think the word of God has called us to a holy calling after 10 scriptures this morning? He has called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but by his own purpose and by the grace he granted us in Christ Jesus before the time began. He sent his perfect son, Jesus, to die on a cross. And can I tell you this morning, he is not dead. He is alive. He wants a personal relationship with you. He wants to talk to you. And I promise you, when you are talking to Jesus, the Son of God, every single day, when you are just talking to him as you're driving in the car, when you're dropping your kids off at school, on the way to work, in line for the coffee, not Starbucks, because they give their money to abortion, but other coffee shops. But when you're in the line, you just begin to talk to Yahweh, and he begins to respond back and all of a sudden you realize I just had a conversation with God <sighs> it's power it's the most powerful relationship and what so many of us give the least amount of time to what if you shifted everything in your life and you begin to give the most time in a relationship to Jesus Christ your flesh would follow your spirit and the third power is this, his Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. Titus 3, 3 through 7 says this, once we too were foolish and disobedient, we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy and we hated each other, but... <laughs> When God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Woo! He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. And he generously poured out the Spirit. When he's saying that word generously, he didn't give you as much Holy Spirit that you asked for kind of last week at service. He didn't give you that much. He gave you an overflowing cup full, enough for you, your mind all the way down to your toes, enough for those teenagers that think they have turned to wicked ways enough that begins to overflow to every relationship around you. He gives his Holy Spirit generously. Do you ask for more of him every single day? You should ask for more of him every single day. More, more Jesus, more Holy Spirit, more of you and less of me. Did you catch in that scripture in Titus when it said, it's not because of what you have done, but because of his mercy. Worship team, come up this morning. I heard the Lord say as I prayed into this ministry time, people were coming into the house of the Lord that didn't know how they got here this morning. Maybe you're drugged by somebody to get here. 
You didn't want to go and your heels were on the floor like me back in the day. Maybe you've been sitting in pews for decades. Ah, but your spirit cries out for holiness. For freedom. From the things that have been taunting you for way too long. I heard the Lord say this morning, you've come to a mercy house. Because there's a mercy appointment here for you this morning to make you holy. I want to tell you about a dream that I had. Last Sunday, I ministered in Dallas on consecration. and We had this moment of just weeping and crying out to be made holy. And Lord exposed the unholiness in us. And I went home and... I was really just spiritually attacked afterwards and kind of just prayed through it and tried to lean into the Lord. And I go to sleep and I have a wild dream. One of the heaviest dreams I've really had in a long time. And I know it was the Lord, but it was heavy. I felt the, the Lord tell me that I was supposed to share this dream with you this morning. Dreams started off and I was with a group of young adults and one of the young men that was in this group. I don't know who he was. I don't think he went to Mercy Culture. I still don't know who he was, but it was his birthday. And I thought, well, we should celebrate him because it's his birthday. And he was resistant to wanting to go celebrate. I didn't understand why. But then all of the sudden, I believe I was taken to the place that he would celebrate at. The group isn't with me. All of the sudden, I am standing in a sky rise, I don't know how many floors up. But it is a restaurant, bar, slash, full-on, modern altar of Baal. And I know this because I look around the restaurant, and I know there's little ones in the room, so I'm going to try my best to not give too many details, but so that you understand what took place in this room. I look around and instead of the booths being seats, the booths were beds. And I saw full on orgies of men in these booths and in these beds. I was overwhelmed at the, at the sight as I scanned across the room. I became nauseous and all of a sudden my feet were just taking me forward like I was on a, like a, a like one of those grocery store things that just pushes you along. I was just being pushed along around the restaurant. And as I went by booth by booth, they would pause and I would see this orgy paused in this horrific position. And then as I go into the next one, I see in between these booths, I see these golden images. And the golden images were these statues and they were men in these different position of orgies. I am so overwhelmed now by what I am seeing. I am holding my mouth because I want to violently vomit. I want it to stop, but I keep going booth by booth and pausing in front of them and seeing these horrific scenes. I'm thinking, how do I get out of here? All of a sudden, I see an elevator. I get to the elevator. And on the elevator is two men that worked on the place. And it was a real tight elevator. There was no windows. It was dark in there. And all of a sudden, I hear their conversations. And it is the most horrific, perverted things talking about their desires and their pleasures. They're talking about it. And now I become so overwhelmed. Not only do I want to violently vomit, but I can't breathe. I can't get the air out. And so I, I'm clawing for the door for this elevator to open. And I keep hitting a floor and opening, and it's not the right floor. And I remember just feeling overwhelmed with grief, like, oh, I have to get off of this elevator. And it stopped all the way down, and I'm listening to this to where they ask me, what are my desires? What, what are my pleasures? And I can't even speak because I'm so overwhelmed until I get to the bottom of the basement. And when I get to the bottom... I hear one of the men that work there say, oh, well, now you'll meet somebody that you know. And the elevator's open. And there's all of these expensive cars out there. And I look off to the right and I see a family from Mercy Culture. 
with their children walking up to the elevator. Their child runs up, wraps their arms around my leg, and I can't even say anything because I'm thinking, what are you doing here? Why would you bring your children to this? Do you know what's coming? But it was like, yeah, we know. This is what we're here for. All of a sudden, I'm taken back up to the restaurant, the altar of Baal is. And I see a woman, an older woman from mercy culture walking towards me at the front. This time I finally get the words out and I say, what are you doing here? She said, oh, I just come every once in a while and I just let my hair down. I said, do you know what's happening in there? Do you know what's happening in there? You can't be, you can't be around that. You can't be in that. And she goes, oh no, I just come to have a few drinks. And if I can't drive home, then I just go lay on one of the booths. Knew she was deceived. I wake, wake up out of the stream gasping. And I hear the Lord say, Heather, there are people coming to church on Sunday. There are people that call themselves my people with great bondage in their life, with dark sins and secrets in their life. But this Sunday, I want to set them free. This Sunday is a mercy appointment with my sons and my daughters to make them holy. Our opening scripture was this in 1 Peter chapter 1, the call to holiness. And it says in verse 13, therefore prepare your minds for action and to be sober-minded. But this is crazy because the King James Version says it totally different. It says, therefore, having girded up the loins of your mind, be sober-minded. It was an old fashioned saying. So I had to go look up, what does the Bible mean by girding up your loins? See, back then they had the same evil slogans for answering the desires of their flesh. Back then they would just loosen their belt, take off that work jacket, they would begin to loosen their clothing for a good time, for a Friday night, to go and to let their hair down. They would loosen the loins, but the Word of God knew what was coming in 2024. And the Bible is telling you today, church, it is time to gird up your loins, or it is time to get yourself together. It is the hour to answer the call to holiness. Ah! This is what I want you to do. This morning, no games, no religious games. If this is you, where everything within you says, I am sick, I am sick of the Christianese and going to another church service and faking an altar call and living the same life and living two separate lives that don't go together and lying to cover them up. This morning, everything within me wants to be the man, wants to be the spiritual leader of my household wants to be the father that's leading the children that's leading my wife that's leading my business in holiness come on if you're the woman this morning that says ah, I'm sick of the insecurities moving me to unholiness I am sick of being a slave to feeding my fleshly desires. But this morning, I want to answer the call to holiness.